panicked mother comes into paediatric A&E carrying a small baby in her arms. Her baby's tense and rigid and has her hands in tiny little fists. Her mum says that she has not been feeding in the past week, but she was feeding fine before this. The baby keeps undergoing spasms which are brought on by touch and noise. Upon closer inspection, you notice that her umbilical stump looks infected. A 56-year-old man has been brought into A&E by his husband. He is incredibly sweaty and his face is twitching into an exaggerated, painful-looking grimace. He tries to speak, but his speech is slurred and he can't move his jaw. It's stuck in place. His husband says the patient is a 56-year-old farmer from Ovingdean who's not had anything out of the ordinary happen apart from when he stood on a rusty nail five days ago. A middle-aged homeless man is brought to A&E by ambulance. His whole body is rigid and tense and his back is arched so that he's resting on his heels and his head. His face is stuck in a grimace and he's convulsing every few minutes. Upon examination, he's feverish and sweaty with labile blood pressure and he seems to have lost control of his bladder. You notice that he's got needle marks in his anticubital fossa. So what do these three very different patients have in common? The answer is tetanus. Tetanus is an acute infectious disease caused by Clostridium tetani, a gram-positive, spore-formic, anaerobic bacillus. It's commonly found in the soil, the GI tract and feces of humans and animals, and on rusty tools like nails and barbed wire. Clostridium tetani forms heat-resistant and antiseptic-resistant spores, and they're able to survive for years. Tetanus is a major global public health issue, especially in low-income areas, where non-sterile birth practices are common and not many people are immunised. This is particularly true regarding neonatal tetanus, which is tetanus within the first 28 days of life. Neonatal tetanus is usually caused by cutting the umbilical cord with non-sterile instruments, covering the umbilical stump with contaminated material, carrying out delivery with unwashed hands or on contaminated surfaces. Other risk factors for tetanus include lack of or incomplete tetanus immunisation, injury, injecting drug habits and anything that exposes risk to puncture wounds around soil, even gardening. So the way that Clostridium tetani works is it enters the site of injury, such as a wound, a bite or a scratch, from the environment and grows anaerobically at the injury site. This is the ideal environment for the bacteria because it's anaerobic and warm. Inside the wound, C. tetani produces a toxin called tetanospasmin, which undergoes retrograde axonal transport along alpha motor neurons into the CNS. The toxin specifically targets inhibitory interneurons and inactivates them by blocking the release of inhibitory neurotransmitters GABA and glycine. This results in the overactivation of alpha motor neurons, which leads to muscle rigidity and spasms. It also affects cells of the autonomic nervous system, so you get autonomic dysfunction as well. So, clinical presentation. Usually there's a delayed onset after the injury, of around 10 days. This is because C. tetani has an incubation period of between 4 and 21 days. The name tetanus means being taught, and that can help you remember the symptoms. So, in terms of general tetanus, the spasms begin in the muscles of the face, for example the jaw, and then they spread throughout the body. These spasms are sudden, 
powerful and very painful and can cause muscle tears or bone fractures. So there's a tetanic triad that you should know. And this is made up of trismus, which is lockjaw. So the jaw cramps due to lower jaw spasm. Rhesus sardonicus, also known as a Sardinian grin, which is that exaggerated painful looking grimace, which is due to facial muscle spasms, and opisthotnos, which is severe spasming of all the muscles in the body at the same time. This will result in a patient lying with an arched back on their head and their heels. Autonomic symptoms include diaphoresis, fever, dysphagia, dyspnea, drooling, changes to urinary and bowel habits and labile blood pressure, pulse rate and temperature. In babies, the inability to suck or breastfeed and excessive crying is present. Other forms of tetanus include localised tetanus, where it's localised to the area of injury, and cephalic tetanus, which is tetanus following head trauma, such as skull fractures and eye injuries, and it's limited to the muscles supplied by the cranial nerves. Cephalic tetanus is the most likely to cause death. So how is tetanus diagnosed? Well, diagnosis is based on clinical features and doesn't need laboratory confirmation. If there's strong enough clinical suspicion, it's enough to initiate treatment. So the WHO definition of confirmed neonatal tetanus is illness occurring in an infant who has normal ability to suck and cry in the first two days of life, but then loses this between day 3 and 28 of life and becomes rigid or has spasms. The WHO definition of non-neonatal tetanus needs a minimum of one of the following signs. Sustained spasm of facial muscles where the person looks like they're grinning. Painful muscle contractions. And also, a history of wound or an injury, but sometimes the patients can't provide one or can't remember one. So tetanus is a medical emergency. Treatment includes ICU inpatient care with airway control, because sometimes the respiratory muscles can become affected, and treatment of other autonomic dysfunction. They need immediate treatment with human tetanus immunoglobulin to mop up all the tetanus spasm that's still in their system. They'll need aggressive wound care and antibiotics to get rid of the source of infection and ongoing toxin production. And they'll need drugs to control their muscle spasms, such as benzodiazepines, including diazepam, and a tetanus vaccination. And this is because people who recover from tetanus don't develop natural immunity, so can get reinfected. So how do we prevent tetanus? Well, we prevent it with tetanus toxoid-containing vaccines. There are several vaccine preparations which protect against tetanus as well as other diseases. The most common one is the diphtheria, tetanus and pertussis vaccine. This is included in routine immunisation programmes globally and is administered during antenatal care. The WHO recommends six doses of this, three primary shots followed by three booster shots. In the UK, we give three primary shots and then two booster shots. Because C. tetani is ubiquitous in the environment, vaccination doesn't offer indirect protection in the sense of herd immunity. The only time indirect protection occurs against tetanus with a vaccine is with pregnant mothers. The immunisation programme has resulted in an 89% reduction in tetanus cases and deaths since 1990. As of June 2019, 
There are only 12 countries left who haven't achieved maternal and neonatal tetanus elimination, with the highest rates being in Somalia and South Sudan. In countries where national programmes have maintained high immunisation coverage over several decades, there's very low incidence rates of tetanus. Between 2001 and 2019, there were only 118 cases of tetanus reported to Public Health England, with only 13 tetanus deaths, and four of those were cryptogenic with no reported injury. Out of all of these, the highest incidence was found in individuals aged over 64 who are at the highest risk of being underimmunized. And out of this age group, there is a higher incidence in women than in men. This is because men had access to the tetanus vaccine through the National Citizenship Service, whereas women did not. There's been very few cases of tetanus amongst children. This is a result of the tetanus toxoid-containing vaccines, which are given part of the NHS Childhood Vaccination Programme. In this programme, children are vaccinated against tetanus in the 6-in-1 vaccine, which contains the diphtheria, tetanus and pertussis mixture, and also protects against hepatitis B, haemophilus influenzae, polio and pertussis. The 6-in-1 vaccine is given at 8, 12 and 16 weeks of age. So in terms of eliminating maternal and neonatal tetanus, we've come a long way with the vaccine. But there's still just a few countries to go to get global elimination. And then it'll just be about strengthening routine immunisation activities, maintaining and increasing access to clean deliveries, and ensuring reliable neonatal tetanus surveillance. I hope this has helped you to understand and appreciate the burden of tetanus worldwide. This has been written and recorded by Zahra Alzebedi under the supervision of Dr. Bethany Davies.